Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So we are in the the tail end of, I guess, uh, big update season, and it's a time of year where one of the things, like we've talked about many aspects of what this looks like and of the changes that come and how to manage, like, new APIs and adopting things and dealing with, uh, you know, backwards compatibility with old devices. But I think an area that I think is useful for us to kind of talk about um, is the ways in which sometimes our apps are changing underneath of us um, or there are updates or things that are changed inside of iOS or watchOS or whatever operating system you're working on that can then cause problems for application where like ostensibly like code that hasn't changed, unrunning things, can potentially be turned around um, in, in in iOS updates and cause lots of problems. And this can be manifest itself in a lot of different areas that we'll kind of talk through. But I think it's an it's, it's an area that, like this this year in particular, I think there was a lot of this where iOS 13, watchOS 6 um, had a lot of there were a lot of changes in seemingly in some of the lower level parts of the system that you know at least for, for my applications and I think for yours as well there's been you know just issues and some of these are user facing some of these are things that are like indirectly user facing like there's been a lot some changes in the way that uh, the you, when your app is backgrounded how likely it is that it will remain in the background versus being mm-hmm. terminated and then relaunched which is sort of user facing and sort of not like depending obviously if you, if you know in your case if someone's listening to audio and they get killed and that would be a, you know the user would be aware but even just otherwise if the user has to when they tap on your app icon if it relaunches with a full relaunch versus just immediately restore you know, restore restoring it makes the app feel more responsive it makes it feel good um, but being aware even that your app is being killed in the background is something that is sometimes awkward to notice or something's hard to see. I mean, I know I'm especially, a lot of these behaviors are really tricky when they don't really happen when you're connected via Xcode to your application because, you know, like your app is rarely killed in the background while it's in an active debug session. Like I'm, I imagine you you know, the, the app is kind of given a different level of, uh, um, sort of priority in that in that context than it would if it was just running and then you go off and do other stuff. Um, and so these are often kind of tricky to do. So I think there's an interesting thing to just kind of talk about, A, identifying these things. What are some of the kind of pitfalls that are likely to cause problems when things change in OSs? And then just kind of, kind of some of our experiences and then um, some of the tools, I think, you know, Apple, Apple has increased dramatically some of the tools that we have at our disposal in the organizer, especially um, to identify these kinds of behaviors and then so we can kind of respond to them accordingly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I've I've been facing so many issues <laughs> like this. And and the thing with, with issues like this where like the system is terminating your app for some reason um, or just because it wants the memory back for its own purposes, like many of these issues are mostly out of your hands many of these issues are not your fault but many of them are and it's it's often hard to know the difference um and and it's hard to necessarily even know that you're having these problems in your apps because you know for for the longest time uh there was either minimal reporting on this or or it wasn't being reported at all and even if you like if you use a third-party crash reporter framework i think those still mostly don't get things like uh, energy log terminations and stuff like that. So you really have to look in the organizer in Xcode and look at the crash logs there and the energy logs there to to really have an idea of like how bad of a problem do you have with these things and and you know why and when are you getting killed. And unfortunately, 
like you know ios since the very beginning has had uh, as part of the public api has had the, these low memory warnings where you know on every view controller you get that method that's like you can it, you can notify if the system's low memory and then you you have a chance to release some memory and if you don't release enough memory your app's probably going to get killed uh there is no equivalent to that for tons of other conditions that can get your app killed and it seems like in every version of if in every major version of ios they, they seem to be adding more of these and, and watch os also as you are very well aware you know watch os from the very beginning has had a lot of like super tight restrictions on things like how much cpu time your app can use how many seconds it has to uh, it, it has before it has to like you know draw its its snapshot or whatever like there's all these different conditions like that where not only are, are most of these restrictions undocumented and changed between OS releases normally in the direction of getting more strict and having more restrictions, but also there is no public API, there's no notification, there's no callback, there's nothing that serves as a warning signal to your app so that you can like change what it's doing before it just gets killed by the system. So you really have to dig through these logs to even find out that you are getting killed for this reason. And a lot of times the logs will will reveal what the limit is, uh, but sometimes they won't really reveal like how you hit that limit or why or what your app was doing. Um, they try to have uh, stack traces on some of them, but they're often not very helpful because it isn't like an actual crash. All they can do is like, sample like what it happened to be doing at the moment it decided to terminate the app but that oftentimes is not related to why it was terminating the app (laughs) and so it's very very hard to figure some of these things out um and the tooling in in some ways like the the xcode organizer especially in the new um in xcode 11 there's this new metrics tab and this is super interesting. Like, if you haven't taken a look at the uh, organizer in a while, open up Xcode 11, go to the metrics tab, and it reports all sorts of great, useful information about the versions of your app that have been submitted to the App Store, and over time, how things like battery usage and memory usage and launch time, how those have changed over each release. So you can see, like, like for instance, one of the metrics here is um, disk writes. If your app writes too much to the disk... As of iOS 13, it gets killed. I believe that's even new to iOS 13.2 or 13.1. But if you just write too much to the disk in a certain period, again, these limits I don't think are documented anywhere, uh, which is a common problem with Apple these days, but (laughs) I don't think there's any documentation on this. But if you write too much to the disk, you get killed. And the um, I was having this issue with a couple of versions ago. I was updating the search index to Overcast too frequently, and it was causing a lot of disk writes, and I started getting killed during the early 13.2 betas, or whatever this was, 13.1. And, uh, and I, I, I had to figure out, okay, well, how do I write to the disk less? And it's kind of hard when someone's downloading a bunch of, uh, <laughs> when they're downloading a bunch of stuff uh, to, to their phone, it's kind of hard to avoid writing to the disk to the things they're downloading. But I could look at things like search indexing and say, all right, well, that's something I have control over, so I can at least reduce that. Um, and and so I submitted new versions that reduced search indexing, and sure enough, they did. I could see right in the graph on the metrics tab in the organizer, I can see the disk writes went way down after that update, um, and hopefully down to a point where I'm getting killed less. Um, and so there's there's all sorts of tooling here, you know, some of which is helpful, some of which is not. Man, I sure wish that we would have more of this information accessible in the app at runtime before getting killed. And 
there actually is um there was a good a good article on ns hipster this past week there actually is a like metrics kit i believe it's called that gives you access to some of this stuff at runtime but it doesn't give you as far as i can tell it doesn't give you things like the uh warnings about like hey you're you're gonna get killed in a few seconds for using too much cpu time like that's that's something like i would love to have a notification for that so i could do things like hey you know what if i'm currently doing something optional that's burning cpu just stop doing it you know stuff like that stuff like you know watch transcodes and search indexing and stuff like that like i do all all sorts of crazy stuff like if i think you're plugged into power and and can afford the 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 hit uh but if you if you don't pay attention to this kind of stuff you'll get reports from people just basically saying like hey your app crashed while i was using it or your app keeps crashing in the background and i don't know why and there's there's plenty of of uh of reasons your app can be killed in the background that Apple doesn't really tell you much about, that at least the ones they will tell us about, we can at least do something about that and, and pay attention to these metrics and, and start looking at the logs and, and try to do something uh, that might help these out. Yeah, because I think the thing that is, other previously, what, what ultimately what you, I feel I found like I would have to do before, um, with a lot of, without having access to this kind of metrics, there's a little bit of just, you are getting the sort of the hearsay reports version of this, which is just, someone is reaching out via customer support or whatever and you're just kind of noticing a trend because often these things aren't uh, immediately obvious like there are some that are just are like i recently especially i've been with working with swift ui there's a bunch of things where like between watch os 6 and 6.1 there were some like dramatic changes in how swift ui rendered and like all of a sudden my ui was just broken you know on 6.1 so i had to re like rewrite it and change it and like that those kinds of things are great in some ways like while I'm not excited that you know SwiftUI is still young and constantly changing, I am. Ex- it is nice that it's like here's this very definitive thing that a user will write in and say like you know this label is truncated and like on six point oh it wasn't on six point one it is and like it's the same code running like great that is a nice easy to identify problem that is like you know I, I can deal with that. Um, what was often tr- tricky with the, a lot of these kinds of issues is where there's so amorphous that you're just kind of looking for these kind of general trends like is you know say you have some operation that only happens on app launch like there's a certain server call say that only happens on app launch or typically happens on app launch and you're seeing more of those um, calls to your server after an ios update then maybe there's something to do with the app being launched in the background or things like i remember doing this kind of detective work um, before, but it's nice to have increased uh, visibility into this. And one thing I will say too that I love about the new metrics that we have here um, is that it you can, it breaks down by like different device types. Um, you can as well as by like app version. So you can also see like I, I tried to make a change and it you know to affect a sl- you know, it should improve something. How does it how does it affect it on you know, a, a, a relatively new like 10s phone versus um, how does it detect it on a 5s phone? And like you can get a sense of how the impact is between those things. And also just I kind of love that it's like I think my favorite one of these new metrics um, is launch time which isn't particularly what we're talking about in terms of like changes to iOS, but just is a new metric that came as part of these new things that are useful for other things is like getting an actual real world sense of what the launch time is in seconds for a typical user on average for different devices is tremendously useful because launch time, I think is one of those things that is so hard to quantify yourself. 
um, because it's so dependent often on user uh, the actual user's data and their device and what else they're using. And there's lots of things that can go into you know launch time that you don't have control of or that are hard to simulate. And so it's really cool to know that you know like for on a 5s my launch time is three or four seconds, but on a 10s it's half a second, and like that's really cool to know. Um, but it is interesting to play this detective game. I will say that you kind of are often kind of looking for what is this trend? What is this thing that's happened? Um, and obviously sometimes you'll know that, you know, that there are obviously announced changes that are coming in iOS, but often there aren't. And you just kind of have to play this game of looking at it and be like, huh, between this and this version, um, what's changed and how is this, uh, you know, how is my system responding to it? And what are some things that I'm doing that could be questionable? Because often, I mean, yeah, it's like like you said, sometimes this is the system's fault and sometimes it's our fault. Like sometimes I feel like we can get away with things that maybe we shouldn't be, but, you know, that we're relying on a, either a bug in, in the OS or just something that it is not enforcing. Um, I think for a long time, there was a bunch of things where uh, I think we've started to see a couple where there's like calls that if you didn't make them on the main thread you would see a log in Xcode that says like, you're making this call on on the you know not on the main thread um you know this behavior is not supported in future versions this will fail um which is a really interesting thing to see when you see it in, like in it's like i've i like when i see those kinds of messages that it's like i'm doing something that does technically work right now but shouldn't work um and so it's like i, I can be proactive and take take advantage of those and anytime i see like i mean i loved in seeing core data there's a thing where you can set it to be like thread thread aware and if you make any calls to things that are, are on the wrong thread like you know your manage object context is being accessed from the wrong thread it'll uh, th- you know you can have the debugger sort of essentially ca- catch it and you'll hit a breakpoint and say like you're doing something bad here i think there's a similar thing that you can do for accessing uh ui kit not from the main thread that you can it can sort of prop up essentially act as an exception um, in those cases, because I think those are often those kinds of edge case things that will work differently between versions of iOS, where you'll suddenly get caught out that you were doing something that you weren't aware was problematic, but it was problematic. Um, but then, you know, it's like and it used to work, but suddenly it doesn't. Like, I think I had one of these uh, with iOS 13, where I was presenting a modal view controller. I think in certain circumstances, it could be presented from a background thread if it was coming from a notification and that notification happened to come from a background thread. Like there was a, you know, this, this sort of chain of events that could have happened where this was happening and it worked on iOS 12. Like it would present and I never noticed, uh, but on iOS 13, it would fail and crash. And like that was just one of those things that I was, I wasn't, you know, make doing, I wasn't doing the appropriate call to send, send it, you know, to dispatch it back to the main thread, but you know, now in uh, 13, I was very, very aware of that and had to fix it. Yeah, I've had, I've been bitten by a few of these things. Uh, I, I know about a year ago or maybe a little bit more, I had had a problem where um, if you, I, I had, you know, I, I had extensions running for my app and I had my main app. And so I thought, hey, why don't I put the SQLite database file in the shared app container? That way the extensions and the main app can all be reading from the same database file and, and write into it and everything. And SQLite is good about like cross-process um, you know, synchronized access, so I, I knew that would be okay. So I thought, great, th- this, this should be fine. Um, and I was getting all these weird crash reports. And what turned out to be the reason was that uh, if you are holding on to a, I believe, a writable file handle in a, in a uh, shared app container 
when your extension or main app gets suspended or terminated in the background, uh, iOS will kill the app and make a crash log saying, hey, you actually crashed, like as opposed to just a, a regular termination. And it took me forever to, fi- to figure out why, because that, that thing about like not having writable handles open in, in a shared app, cont- app container, I don't think that was documented anyway. <laughs> and it took, it took me, I think, weeks to figure that one out uh, and eventually ship an app update that just doesn't have the SQLite file there anymore and just communicates through other methods. Um, <laughs> for lots of reasons, don't put your SQLite file in the uh, shared app container for <laughs> between extensions in your app. Um, and so that, like, that, that one bit me pretty hard. Um, I've, I've also gotten hit uh, in more recent times. Uh, recent OSs, I believe this started with 12, uh, but at least it's certainly present in 13, are very aggressive about if you open a background task and you don't close it, or if they call your expiration handler and you don't end the task in the expiration handler, they will kill the app with a crash. And, uh, and that's especially um, coming up for a lot of people now with iOS 13 because iOS 13 significantly reduced the amount of background time you have. It used to be about three minutes, and now I believe it's 30 seconds, something like that. Um, and so you know, the, the background task API is dramatically more aggressive in iOS 13. And so we're seeing a lot of crashes from that so to the point where now, like, uh, I, I did this a few months back. I, I actually changed all of my begin background task calls to use my own custom like wrapper library that automatically will close the task if the calling code doesn't uh, just because it like there's nothing about my app that like will break horribly if it gets suspended unexpectedly so like sure. it's no big deal if this if the system suspends it and I didn't cancel the the, the, the background task so so like so now I, I had to actually make this this wrapper class just to ensure that like I can't do that, um, and I, of course I audited all the ways I was using it too, and I hope I never actually need that fallback. But you know it's always good to have something like that, uh, all sorts of stuff like that where like you know the system is getting more and more strict over time, and a combination of of Apple's engineering strictness, basically of throwing the problem back in our face, and their extreme lack of documentation on any of these things and the fact that the conditions always change make it so that we really have to be on our toes we and i don't i don't think things necessarily should be this way but they are we we really have to be on our toes all the time and every os release even a even a dot release like even from going from ios 13.1 to 13.2 say even dot releases change these requirements and add more strict checking on things and everything. You never know when an OS release is going to all of a sudden start killing your app for a transgression that you weren't even aware of uh, or that used to not be a problem and now is a problem. We are sponsored this week by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a huge complex system. Linode is where to go. They have the fastest hardware network with outstanding customer support if you ever need help, and it's super easy to launch a Linode cloud server. They now have block storage available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, soon to be released in Tokyo. Version 4 of Linode's REST API is out of beta and includes an officially supported Python CLI. It's such a great host. I gotta say, Dave and I have been there forever. I, I know I've been there for something like 8 or 9 years. All of Overcast is hosted there. I just absolutely love working with Linode. It's been a rock-solid host the entire time I've been there, and it's been the best value that I've been able to find in the market as well. Uh, so check it out. And also, right now, Linode is hiring. If you want to learn more about that, go to linode.com careers. 
Otherwise, for everyone else, check out their pricing options. They have options to suit everyone. Plans start at one gig of RAM for just $5 a month. And they have all sorts of other plans above that for various needs, including high memory plans. And Linode has a special offer for you. Listeners of this show can go to linode.com slash radar and use promo code radar2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. So on the one gig of RAM plan, that could be four months free. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash radar and promo code radar2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of FM. Something that I found kind of interesting in this this general topic too is recently I feel like Apple is increasingly using the crash termination as a way to enforce policy um, that there was a, a, early, in, early in my career I'm working on iOS I feel like crashes were usually like directly my my fault like I did something that was bad um, or like in a more modern case you could imagine like in Swift where if you use anytime you use the exclamation point operator um, you're like asking for a crash <laughs> because like you, you, you inevitably somehow that optional is going to turn out to be nil and it's going to crash and like that was just your fault like that's just bad programming but um, there weren't as many of these kind of like situations where things are being policy is being enforced with a crash um, but is now like for example if you make any privacy related um, call inside your application and it you don't include the appropriate uh, plist entry with the like privacy description um, text your app will just immediately terminate and in some ways you could think like well why doesn't the call just fail or something like that it's like no Apple enforces that by a crash by like this hard very kind of aggressive version of that and many of these um, sort of resource constraints are enforced in the same way that there is this very sort of harsh strong um, like you, you do you do you, you know, it's like you do something in, in, incorrect your app is terminated rather than just like um, getting a you know get, getting a not authorized message or dealing with you know sort of you can imagine softer versions of this and in some ways I will say as a developer I there are part of me that really like it in the sense that if I'm doing something that I shouldn't be um, often it is before you know for lack of understanding about how to use something correctly, or I don't realize that I'm making a, a call that will actually you know deal with any of the privacy APIs or things like. I, there's situations where things like that can happen, and in some ways it's nice to like very strongly get my attention because nothing gets your attention quite so strongly as the app immediately terminating. Um, is you know that, that's that it's much more um, obvious than just sort of the silent failure case, right? It's it's kind of it's like warnings versus errors. Like it's like yeah. like if you if your app crashes when you do something, like you can't just delay fixing that for some future better time that will never come. Like you have to deal with that. It's it's forcing you to deal with it. And like in some ways, that's kind of nice. Like I, it's a little tricky when they happen um, in sort of this in, in sort of the, the, ch- the change in behavior, like the same code now crashes rather than just sort of silently failing. That can be awkward when it happens, and especially when it happens in you know, sort of point updates or more minor things that are harder, like we don't have as much time with or we don't necessarily look at as much. Because as much as like Apple will usually provide us with a developer beta of m- most, at least of the like the major point releases, maybe not the minor point releases um, ahead of time. Like it's also kind of tricky to necessarily always be running those. Like I'll 
by all means run any of the major versions. Like when iOS 13 came out at WWDC, I have it on a device and I'm running my apps on it like on day one and looking out for these kinds of things. But it's a little tricky for some of the times for the point releases. But I do kind of see where they're coming from. And I kind of like that this is generally seems to be a new pattern that they're kind of heading towards where if you do something wrong, like like you were saying with like uh, some of the handlers and things where you kind of could have gotten away with it before and they were a little bit more loosey-goosey about it. Like it's like it's a different kind of model that I think ultimately will probably encourage higher uh, general sort of like compliance and code quality. And as a philosophy, I don't, I'm not totally against because it kind of necessitates this much more rapid um, improvement, but it's just awkward where sometimes um, they're happening in way for, for things that you don't understand. And I do kind of like, and in some ways it makes sense that by making it a crash, uh, you, there's, the broadest amount of instrumentation um, possible for collecting information about that, that like crash reporting, collecting crash reports is something that Apple does, that third-party frameworks do, that test flight does. Like it's by turning it into a crash, there's lots of instrumentation and kind of workflows around collecting that information and kind of knowing what happened um, that is already existing. And I mean, it's kind of funny in some ways that, many of these policies are then like enforced by the weird like little paragraph in the middle of the crash report <laughs> yeah. you get this, which is like i don't think was necessarily like that that section is kind of supposed to be this like communication mechanism back and forth between the system and developers and like but it is now like i get a lot of information where i'll open up a crash report and there's this little paragraph in the middle it's like well the, you know the watchdog process was what you know found that your application was using cpu for you know 2.04 seconds and the limit is this and so you were killed after this amount of time and like it's we're having this little like conversation about why why i was killed and like that's interesting and that's useful and I'm okay with it in some ways, but it is just something that I've noticed recently that there's this like this trend towards you do something wrong and your app is killed rather than you do something wrong and it kind of silently fails. And overall, I like it, but it is something that I think definitely to be aware of. And probably also just kind of something I've had to make peace with in a good way is for a long time, my goal was to always have like zero crashes, like you know, if you, if you open the analytics tab in iTunes Connect, say, um, there's like the crashes area. That's for a long time. My kind of my goal was always to kind of get the crash rate down to zero. Um, but with a lot of Is this kind possible? of general change, well, it's it used to be in some ways. Um, I've been over like near zero. I have. I yeah. think I have like a thousand a day. Yeah. And I think I'm now at peace with that. Like, I think it's my, like the points I'm heading towards is that like, that used to be a reasonable goal. Now it isn't. And now it's more, I think the crash law, like that is, that is telling you things sometimes that you have control over, sometimes that you don't. And the crash is more like a feedback mechanism. And you want overall, like if you see the crash rate going up, it's probably a bad thing. If you see it going down, it's probably a good thing. But the goal is not necessarily to get it to zero. The goal is for it to kind of slowly decrease over time. And if you see any, like abrupt jumps in your crash rate. There's probably a lot of interesting logs with lots of paragraph text in them telling you things that you, <laughs> um, new policies that you may not have been aware of, or just things that you need to be, you know, that need your immediate attention and that the system is telling you, you need to fix this right now. Yeah. And, and I think ultimately, I, I think using crashes this way from Apple's point of view, it, it makes sense to, to use it as like an enforcement mechanism for lots of things. It, especially it makes sense you know, as you mentioned, how the tooling is so good, it makes a lot of sense for like line by line misuse of something. So, like if you are literally like calling an API wrong or something, like that makes tons of sense. 
where I think it, it needs more support around it is when it's about like general conditions being exceeded. You know, things like memory, CPU usage, disk writes, like where there is some limit that the system is enforcing and your app is just going to slowly approach it until it hits it and then get killed. That is where a crash report is pretty much useless to you because who knows where all the memory was going before the one line of code they happened to sample when they made the report, right? And so it's much more useful in cases like that to have a warning API first, to have something, some callback, some notification, some handler, something where the system tells you, like, hey, you've reached 80% of this limit, like something like that, before it kills you. Because then, even if most apps never respond to that, fine, then it'll be like like the way it is now for them. They'll, they'll just eventually get killed. But for those of us who want to do better, who want to avoid crashes, and who might be doing optional work, please give us the support to actually respond to these conditions before our apps get killed. Because when they get killed, for resource uh, usage, basically, it's nearly impossible for us to do anything about that. Like, what are we supposed to do with that information? Besides, well, I guess we'll try to use less CPU. How? Where? We don't know. But if we have a feedback mechanism before we get killed, we can add our own logging. We can respond to it. We can turn things off. It, it's so much better for everyone if we have that. Yeah, and it's also great when that is something that we can simulate uh, yes. as well. Like In the same way that we have like the network link conditioner that can simulate network conditions, like being able to launch the app and say, like, launch me as though the system is under like constraint right now and let me see what will happen and how i'll be terminated and what behaviors i should expect um is certainly anytime they can give those kinds of tools to us i find them invaluable to just get a sense of where we know like it's so otherwise you're doing these weird things that you're like let me like launch six other apps while i'm launching my app and like start playing 4k video in the hopes that i'm creating a condition that will um make my app you know be, be resource constrained but which is is not repeatable and is not particularly um, reliable either. Yeah, and there's there's some tooling around that, but it's very minimal. More would be a lot better. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.